This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Good morning, everyone. Coach Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching here. I'm your auto repair shop coach. My goal is to help you, the independent auto repair shop owner, make your dreams come true. We do that by opening your mind to things you didn't know you didn't know and by getting you out from under your business and putting you in charge of your future as well as your family's future. Our goal is for you to stop having a hobby and start having a business you can be proud of and take time away from. First and foremost, I want to thank AutoLeap. Without their continued support, this podcast would not be available free to you. If you're in the market for a great shop management system, please feel free to reach out to them. See the show notes for a demo link. As you get into today's episode, you may know someone in your network who could benefit from the topic. So please take time to share personally or through your social network. As always, if you have an idea for a show topic or want to talk, feel free to get with me, Chris at autofixsos.com. Just like Rodney did, I'll introduce him here in a minute. During today's episode number 106, Workflow for Auto Repair Shops, we're going to talk about what's the problem, what's the fix, and steps to correct the issue. First of all, I want to welcome Brent. Brent's a coach. We just did an episode with him that's it's coming out the week before this. But I also want to thank Rodney for reaching out to us. He had a question about shop workflow. He couldn't find anything on it. And I, honestly, I had to go back through our list. I'm like, we've done 106 episodes at this point. And I thought for sure I'd covered some of that in there at some point, but I had not. So again, I want to thank Rodney for reaching out to us. First, I'm going to ask Rodney to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about him and where his shop's at, and then we'll kind of hop into this and go. Okay, well, thank you, Chris, for what you do. I'm an automotive shop owner at 25 years in. I actually own two shops. I started out solely as a transmission shop, and then about 10 years in, as I saw that the automotive and the transmission business was of one, added to automotive repair. Just grew and grew and grew and grew. Just took care of the customers, and it just grew to what it is today. I had stepped away. I'm already past the owner-operator. I work four days a week, and I watch the numbers and do stuff like that. And I just wanted to dive into the shop flow because the way shop flow was forever changing. We're having to wait on parts. We're having to have more storage room for the cars and longer and stuff like that. And I'm just trying to figure it out to make it flow where my profit margins and all stay better at both shops. And that's why I was reaching out to just try to help figure it out. Awesome. That sounds good. So we'll, we're going to kind of like start at the front and walk through it and then see where we land on that. A couple of questions. I like to throw a couple softballs out to my guests just to kind of get them going and get them talking. What was your favorite superhero growing up, Rodney? The Hulk. The Hulk. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so here's the question. Did you have Hulk underoos when you were growing up i'm sure i did yes sir. there you go yeah. we, we have a picture i have a, even have a picture with the hook drawn with me in his hand so <laughs> that's pretty good so brent is superman and he had superman underoos growing up and i was spider-man and had spider-man underoos growing up and i'm pretty sure there's a picture of me i had chicken pox over easter one year and there's a picture of me with chicken pox in my spider-man underoos so i'll have to see if kimberly's got that or whatever we'll have to go out so the other question i like to ask is when you were younger what did you want to be when you grew up rodney i always wanted to work on cars okay cars i just when i looked at them they just did something to me inside always just loved them and just always liked cars so and then i got good i was didn't do real well in school like most of us and then so i got cars and i got to figure things out and that's what i liked about it awesome and so where did you grow up i grew up in florence south carolina 
but actually transfer schools to Pamlico because I can get them on mechanics a year earlier in that high school to here. So I changed schools in the 10th grade so I can get into an auto mechanics program a year earlier and finish up school and go in co-op my senior year of high school. So I had a plan and I put it together. Nice. Oh, that is nice. And then so you graduated high school, got out of that program. Did you go to another program after that or go straight to work or what was your progression? Well, my senior year of high school, I had a already buddy's car to go to the prom and I tore the transmission up in it. And I had worked in body shops and stuff like that. And I went to every mechanic that I knew to help me get this transmission fixed. I didn't have the money to do it. So I was like, I can do it. Nobody could do it. And my daddy finally found a friend that said, okay, I'll help him do it. He had a transmission shop, a little two-bay shop. And I went there and I pulled the transmission out and I helped him fix it. And I was like, this is pretty cool. You standing at a bench with air conditioning all day, making a lot of money. I like this. Right. I went into the transmission part of it first and learned how to do transmissions. And then it just evolved from there to the rest of the automotive part of it. So I was in business at 19 years old. Nice. Nice. And then, so how did you transition from that to being an owner? I went from there, um, jump jobs. I was very good at what I did. I went from there. He didn't pay me very well in a big shop and I've come sought after in the industry. So I just stepped it up. One called me and says, Hey, I'll pay you this. Another one called and said, I'll pay you this. And then didn't like the way it was going. Went to work at another shop and the owner offered it to me. It was a little small shop and tried to get the funds up to buy it. Could never. He decided to close it down. I ended up with the building and then just started from there. Oh, wow. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. That's not, I think a lot of times in the industry, we don't share or we don't have as much respect for how we got started. And to create a business from an empty building to where you're at now, I congratulate you on that. That's really cool. Brent, do you have any questions for Rodney before we get started? Well, Rodney, I mean, when we get started here, I think I'd like to know how you guys like intake a vehicle and what your current processes are to start creating that shop flow. You know, everybody does it a little bit different. And for us to find out how you do it would probably lead us down the right path to seeing if we could help today. Okay. Well, I have two different shops and we do it two different ways at two different shops. (laughs) One's a smaller shop. The service rider up front is he's the front person. He sells the job when it comes in. In our, my Florence location, which is my bigger shop, we handle anywhere from 100 to 125 cars a week. And so I've always had a receptionist up front. And so the sweet lady up front who helped me build my business, she was always kind. She was always receptive to the people coming in, no matter what was going in the shop. So I kept that model alone and my customers have come accustomed to it. I mean, she's it don't matter if they got a comeback issue or whatever. She always was there to calm them down, get them water, take care of them, just customer service at his first. Well, my service rider was all in the back. So the way it works is it comes in, drops it off, and then it gets put in the parking lot. She writes it up, and then the service rider assigns it to a technician. The technician picks the car up, brings it in, checks it, verifies the customer's complaint, whatever it is, and after he verifies the complaint, the technician takes it back out the shop, gives the invoice, the RO, to the service rider. The service rider then price ups the job, looks for the part, sells the job, and then And then once it's sold, he schedules for it to come back in the shop. And then once it comes back in the shop, the repair is done. Once the repair is done, the test drive then takes place. After the test place is parked into the pickup line. And then at the pickup line, they don't pick up that day. Then it has to be moved to the back. And then the next morning from out the back, 
tap front. So we touch in the car a lot. Um, okay. So I got a, a couple of quick questions. I think there's some already things that I heard in there and I'm going to let kind of step back and let Brent kind of run with this because he has a, a smaller four bay shop that just hums and I'm going to try to keep my mouth shut and listen. But so one, Rodney, what shop management system do you use and do you use the same one in both shops? Yes. I use Mitchell in both shops. We just okay. went to Mitchell Pro with DVI inspect. Okay, good. So we got Mitchell in both shops. And then the second question is... Actually, it's more process related. So I'm going to let go ahead, Brent. I'll let you ask your questions. We'll work through it. Okay, Rodney. So on your processes, when you say it goes from the intake lady, what's her name, by the way, Rodney? Her name is Sarah. So it goes from Sarah gets assigned to a service advisor, service advisor assigns it to a technician, and all that process starts. Is all of that stuff done digitally? Or is it all done on paper ROs that keep getting passed through each individual person that touches that car? It's a paper, it's a pre-check sheet that I come up with years ago. It's not an RO, but it's a pre-check. It's an intake sheet is what it actually is, a pre-check-in sheet. Okay. And that literally gets touched by the service advisor and then to the technician, and then that comes back to the service advisor, and then eventually, where does the RO actually get created, and when does that start? When does the technician actually see the RO? At the time of check-in, when it's checked in at the front, the lady up the front actually creates a estimate in the work-in-progress screen, Mm -hmm. and so, and then that piece of paper is created at the same time with the customer signature on it, and so then it follows it to the back. We have an intake board, and then it goes with the technician, and when the technician brings it back, that's when he has the parts and the labor to it. Right. Okay. One thing that just sticks out right away to me is that paper tends to kill productivity. And because I used to be the same way, Rodney, I used to do exactly the same stuff that you're doing right now. And and, and just Brent used to use Mitchell as well. So yes. he's okay. Yeah. So I'm familiar with Mitchell, but once we switch to a different a system that basically everything is live on the screen your computer of her computer of the, like, for instance, my technicians have tablets. And so everything is live all the time. So everybody can see what's going on. And there's certain processes that get checked off on that, that let the, like, for instance, when my technician is done diagnosing the problem, there's a check mark that he puts on. And then the service advisor gets a notification that he is done. And so then that service advisor knows right away, hey, I can work on the estimate portion of this and then present it to the customer. How are your estimates getting presented to the customer? Are they phone calls? Are they emails? Are they text messages? How is that happening? All of the above. It depends okay. on we ask the preference, we call them, we text them or email them it either way. Okay. Perfect. On the text, when they get a text, do they get like a link that shows them the estimate or how does that work in Mitchell? Yeah, okay. yeah, it's the link that goes to it or the email. If it's a phone call, if they prefer a phone call, we just send them a text and tell them to call us at their earliest convenience and they actually call us back. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because I've found that the texting 
Well, we ask our customers also. Most of them prefer texting, Mm -hmm. and it does help speed up that approval process, whether they're young, old, or whatever. I've come to find out that pretty much about 80% of our customers prefer that texting option. So Mm -hmm. That's the way we are, too. Some of our older ones, since we've been in business so long, still likes to call. Right. They like to talk. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Got to talk them through it. So make sure they're comfortable with everything. AutoLeap is a cloud-based all-in-one auto repair software that helps to keep complete track of your business, from scheduling appointments to managing technicians to generating invoices. Supercharge your growth with AutoLeap. Customers that fully adopt AutoLeap see the following benefits in their first year. 30% revenue growth, with top customers seeing over 100% growth, 75% decrease in no-shows, allowing you to service more customers, three times increase in positive Google reviews, leading to stronger online presence, 50% time saved on administrative tasks, driving increase in operational efficiency. Do it all with AutoLeap. Key features and functions include estimates, invoices, scheduling, Google reviews, inspections, communication, QuickBooks, reporting. Get in touch with AutoLeap to see how you can transform your auto repair shop. For a limited time, if you schedule a demo, sign up with AutoLeap and they will waive the $250 implementation fee. We've talked about how that process kind of works. Then when that estimate gets done, are your service advisors ordering parts or are your technicians ordering parts? Service advisor orders them electronically at the time. If they say, go ahead, he hits the order button and the parts come in. We don't okay. call. Most of that's electronic. So okay. I want to back up just a second, Brent. So hang mm-hmm. on right there. One, Rodney, what's your average repair order right now? $890. Okay, well, beautiful. It's nine ninety three at one shop, eight ninety at another. Okay, so that's great. And so we don't need to go into a lot of detail about that, but just an, as another side note, what's your labor rate? One thirty five at the Florence shop, one fifteen at the Darlington shop. Okay, so yeah, no, those are great numbers for that for the labor rate. So one of the things that we're having issues with, or one of the things that where we have roadblocks is in that process. For me personally, I'm not a technician. I came into the industry as a service advisor. And so I'm the last person you want writing up a parts list on a vehicle. So one of the things that I would recommend switching to in your shop is having the technicians write up their parts list and look up their labor times. In the beginning, it sounds like it takes a lot of time, but it does not. What we found is is shops that have service advisors that are looking up the parts tend to have parts ordering issues and parts receiving issues because they forget plenum gaskets, they forget oil pan bolts, all these extra things that we forget. We bring the car in and we're ready to work on it. The technician's like, well, where's this, this, and this? So I would seriously consider thinking about going to a system where the technicians look up their parts, look up their labor, and then give that list to the service advisor. The next question I have is, you have Sarah up front and you have one service advisor and you're doing 125 cars a week. Is that the only service advisor you have in there or do you have another one? No, that's it. You probably need another service advisor. Yeah. Just if I'm being honest with you too. And that's even with the technicians looking up their own parts and getting it to the front. And what you'll find is, is anytime you add a service advisor to that, typically your average repair order goes up because you're able to spend more time with the customers and build a better relationship. So I would definitely think about that. So anyway, I'm going to step back and let you continue, Brent. Yeah. And Rodney, probably also when you add that other service advisor, your car count's probably going to go up again too. 
It definitely will, because now you have not only Sarah and the current service advisor answering the phones, but you'll have this third person and they know they can take in more work. Now, whether or not your technicians can get that work done is a different story, but you probably will see your car count rise. So the other thing that I find that is a big just time killer inefficiency is receiving parts. If you don't have a really good process of your technicians knowing when their parts arrive or when they're there, that can be a roadblock too. So if the service advisor is ordering the parts and then he, she is also receiving the parts, there may be parts that are sitting on a shelf for two hours or three hours before we know that they're there. Depending on how your shop works, that may not be a big deal because they may have plenty of work to go to. But if they're sitting there waiting on a part and we don't want to push that car out, it'd be nice to have that. I don't know what your process is for that and if it's efficient or not. Can you talk about that just a little bit, Rodney, like how you receive your parts? The way we do it now, when the parts are received and they come in and we verify that all parts is here, then it goes on the schedule to be worked on. Okay. We're literally a month behind right now. We're a month booking out a month because some of it's too with transmissions and getting parts and getting that stuff part of it. So. That piece of the puzzle there is just a whole nother piece of the puzzle in doing that. But we actually do not even put the car on the schedule these days. We had to change it until all parts are verified here. And so the service rider, during his downtime, he comes in, there's a shelf that puts it in. He verifies that all the parts are here for that job to be completed. And once that job, all the parts is here, then he puts it into play to get done. And he said, he allows, okay, this is going to take four hours. He sees, figures out where he's got four hours to put it in at, and he puts it in there. That's how we do it. So do you guys put those parts in a bin or do they just go on a shelf stacked or what does that look like? They individualize on the shelf. They're categorized on the shelf. They're on a shelf, but then whatever area it is, if it's brake pads, rotors, and they stack it up here, and put it and then on the top box they write toyota coma so-and-so invoice on that box and do it that way okay Okay. and then a couple more questions one like are you a hundred percent productive in your shop with your technicians how do you track no okay no we're touching them too many times okay Mm -hmm. well and we're not there yet but yeah you're pulling stuff in and pulling stuff out a lot too and then the other question was what's your parts return for like cores and parts that you don't need, what does that process look like? So on the shelf that we have where they are on the bottom of that shelf, there's a record, there's a um, tote for each individual, each individual parts house, whatever it is. And whatever the return is goes in that tote. Cores have a core banking area outside that be loaded with a forklift, like if it's transmissions or anything like that. But we just take them and put them back in there. And then when the drivers come in, they write up a receipt what they've taken out. And then we have in-house accounting actually go through and verify what went out, got credits. Okay. All right. I'll step back again, Brent. Sorry. So, Rodney, in your original email, you mentioned that your technicians kind of feel like they're drowning. Could you explain that? Tell me what you mean by that. Well, it just seems like this. Everybody is exhausted trying to keep up with the flow, keep up with their. I'm actually toying with the idea of how I can slow the flow down, the car count down to where it's 2000 and up or previous customers only or whatever to I can hire more technicians to get the work done. And I just don't think it's just coming in too much. And like for doing like inspections, like we bring a car in with a bad alternator. 
we don't want to find nothing else, you know, because we're trying to get to the next car. We're trying to get it done and just trying as a help everybody shop is the way mm-hmm. I set it up. And now it's eating us alive because we are here and everybody knows we're here to help everybody and we care for people. And now it's just like, OK, now I'm worried about my employees getting burnt out. That can be when you're trying to be everything to everybody and repair everything that just gets overwhelming. And, you you know, your guys are they sound like they're great technicians, but trying to work on every single make and model that comes in there and going back 20, 25 years. I mean, heck, just the information isn't there to fix those cars as you know, rapidly as we need it to be there. You got to rely on some of your old school mechanics out there in the shop then. Yeah. And those are the guys that are probably tired. They're probably the ones that are worn out. So how many technicians do you have like at the Florence shop? I have three currently right now. I got another one starting on Monday. And then that's not including the transmission rebuilder. Okay. And how many bays is that shop? Eight. So you've got room. If you could hire more technicians, you've got room to put more in there. My docking location has 12. Okay. I definitely think that you could benefit because a lot of times what happens is technicians feel overwhelmed and whatever because we're pulling them from one job to another, to another, to another. And if we were able, I guess my question is, if you had a technician that could stay on a job and you could leave the car in, how much more stuff could you get done or be more productive with without pulling them to do another job and another job? And the only way we would be able to get there is to hire more technicians or hire what we would call production apprentices to do some of the smaller tasks that maybe to leave the A and B technicians on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an apprentice program going that I actually have younger guys come in and they put them on the lift and pull the tires and do stuff like that. And I even have a Wednesday night class that I teach the younger generation to actually do that stuff. And if they're good, I bring them in to do some of that, to pull the cars and move them so my A-level techs are not doing that. So, Have you had trouble recruiting technicians or do you yes, feel like? Yes. Okay. Um, qualified technicians in our area is very hard. It's not good at all, which is across the board. But in our area, we have a tech school, but it's just not producing what we need at this time. And are you on the board of directors or the advisory board for the tech school? Okay. And then so are you actively telling them what they need to do to raise the quality of those people? Chris, I've been telling them. Okay. All right. Okay. It's not. They're not listening. Okay. Just not clicking, is it? Yeah. So, I mean, if it's a earnings and recruiting and benefits thing, I definitely think you've got a little bit of room in your labor rate that you could go up a little bit and maybe offer more to your technicians. We haven't talked about pay and things like that. And then that might actually stem a little bit of the flow. Probably not, though. It sounds like you have a great reputation and people are just going to keep coming to you. So need to figure out how to hire enough people to handle it. Anyway, okay, I'll step back again. So I was getting ready went to try to do, excuse me, is I've tried to start separating the shop. Like my A1 diagnostician, I'm now telling customers he's six to eight weeks out. Okay, put me on the schedule for eight weeks. We'll wait. So I tried that and then trying to individualize the shop. And so my shop foreman, you know, he does all the heavy diagnosis and I put all the CBs on him so the shop can still flow and he can figure that stuff out. But I'm still new at that and trying to figure out how to individualize the shop and actually put it in different sections, as you would say, and just trying to say, okay, well, this is diagnostic. It's six to eight weeks, but alternators is being level tech. We ain't but a week or two weeks away on that to keep the cash flow moving at the same time. 
That's interesting. I don't know a ton of shops that do that, but there may be plenty out there that do it that way. Now, when you do it that way, as far as your heavy diagnostic guy, does then whatever that repair turns out to be, does then that get shuffled over to a BC tech to actually do the repair and your diagnostic guy continues on additional Mm -hmm. diagnostic work? Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I have a Chrysler guy, I have a guy that's good on front end stuff and a guy that's on transmission R&R guy that pulls transmissions in and out. So we just try to shift it to the ones that's to play in their strengths and their weaknesses is what we do in the shop. It sounds like, Rodney, that you probably just need more technicians. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it's easy for us to say that, but then you have to get them right. But right. I definitely think you got to figure out how to recruit those people. And it may be, I mean, it sounds like you have a great head on your shoulders. You have an apprentice training program and you're working hard with the people you have. I think you need to go on Facebook and everywhere else and tell people, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is, if you want a career doing this, we can start you out and build you up. But I think we also need to, again, raise the labor rate, share it and make an offer. I've never been to your area, but I'm assuming the weather's great there and everything else. So there's got to be people that would be willing to move to your area as well. And I would try to recruit from other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a, I'm in a 20 group that Chris facilitates for us. And, and we have shops in there that have technicians move from across the country because mm-hmm. the pay scale's right. The area is nice. They find things that they like about the area. And it's pretty amazing to watch those guys. And they come in and they're producers because they're already technicians. They're not the kid just getting out of tech school. These are technicians that have been doing it, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 years, whatever. And they're, they're just looking for a change. So I would definitely try to recruit from across the nation instead of just doing your local market. Is there a platform for recruiting across the nation like that? The transmission business used to have one a long time ago, but I don't know of one now for the automotive field. There's, you can use Indeed and some of that stuff. It's expensive, but I just came across, we'll talk about it off air. I'm going to do another podcast with these people. I think Brent will know Sebastian's shop in Michigan. They reached out to a new company that I hadn't heard of yet that does recruiting. And I think we can get you with them and then maybe get you some people in there. They guarantee you a hire or else they'll keep looking for you until they find one. Sebastian just put an ad out or had him just put an ad out. They had seven really good candidates apply and they ended up hiring two out of this. So it's a brand new platform that I'd never heard of before until a couple of weeks ago. So outside of that, if you wanted to, you know, you could do Craigslist, you could do Facebook, you could do it Indeed and on Indeed, you could do a nationwide search, but Indeed's gotten to where it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, after we're done, we'll talk about it. I can tell you this. Don't use Zipper Creator. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can tell you that much. I, I use Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, eight, 10 years ago, you could use Craigslist and then it went away. But here in the last couple of months, for some reason, it seems like there are people that are actually answering some Craigslist ads, some pretty good ones. I don't know why all of a sudden all these things are cyclical. But marketplace um, has got so many ads on it. Yeah, could be. And then Facebook just got rid of their marketplace or their Facebook jobs feature. So that's gone for ads. But anyway, go ahead, Rent. Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like, Rodney, if there's any way to cut down on like some of the paperwork passing that's going through the shop, 
if we could do more digital things in between the service advisors and the technicians, that might help speed up the process. It sounds like you got a pretty good handle on and how that works. The other thing would be I'm a big efficiency guy. I have a four bay shop and we move a ton of cars out of there. We don't do as many as you, but we average about 300 cars a month out of that four bay shop. So I'm all about efficiency. Where can I put a piece of equipment in the shop that everybody uses to minimize the number of steps they have to use to get to that piece of equipment? Things like that. If you walk through your shop, I bet you can find like 15 things right away that you're like, man, if I just move this over to this section, that would probably be faster for my guys to get there. I mean, one simple little thing is every mechanic uses rags. Why not tie the bag of rags to their toolbox instead of having them walk over to where the rag bin is and grab a rag every time? Mm -hmm. You know, things like bitty things can really help with that shop flow because they have less steps to take every single day. And you can add time by that. If we don't waste five minutes doing one task by the end of the day with three technicians, that can add up to an hour that somebody has to work on a car. So so. I think the digital and the paperless system is probably going to be my biggest percentage increase is getting Mm -hmm. to that and find one. I have beta tested a few. The only problem, though, is when it comes to it, I put them into play. And when it comes to the transmission business, when it comes down to it for split labor on R&R and overhaul, there ain't a whole lot of, a lot of them out there available that you can actually split the labor on. Because, you know, you got one guy building it and one guy r and r It's a difficult thing to overcome. Now, I do know, and I'll tell you the name of the system that I use, you know, off air. But in my system, that is something that we can do in ours. Oh, okay. So I'll share that with you. And so the other thing is if you're still in this transition and waiting to do that, when you're talking about, so is somebody physically walking out and handing somebody the ticket and the ticket's getting passed back and forth? Or do you have a messaging system that says, hey, I have an invoice to you for you so where the technician comes up? No, we have a board, a magnetic board. So they come in, all our pre-checks are color-coded, red being CB, yellow being appointment, white being toe-in or what that. So they go on a magnetic dry erase board, which is where their job list is, and they're hung there. And then there's a clipboard system that when they leave there, they go to the clipboard system that follows the technician around. And to go back for just a minute, to I've been sitting here listening, trying to figure out how to separate this business or whatever, or kind of segment it like you're talking about it. I think the only way you could do it is just segment it into two different shops, auto repair and transmission. And then I wouldn't try to segment it or go past that. But one of the things in the auto repair, and we have to figure out how to do this because, and especially if you have more bays than you have technicians, then you can have technician working out of a couple different bays. So what I would try to do is you bring a vehicle in, you diagnose it, and once you diagnose it, you leave it on the rack, you take that estimate back to the front so the service advisor can do it. Then you pull another car in in the bay next to it, and while you're working on it, diagnosing or whatever this one, then that gives them the opportunity to sell the first ticket while you've got it. If so, order the parts and then do the work. And then once you get this other vehicle to the point to where it's gone as far as you can go, then you go back to the first one, hopefully, and have parts to work on it. That way you're not pulling in and out, but it depends on like parts availability and everything like that. So that might work very good on the auto repair side. Right. Yeah, but but not the other. But not on the transmission side of it because Mm -hmm. of the parts availability and the time it takes to pull trainees and all of that kind of stuff. So 
Yeah, I would like to separate it because I would like to get my average RO more realistic. Because when you're going by KPIs and going by numbers and stuff like that, they hear it and they're like, whoa, well, it's got transmissions mm-hmm. hybrid in it. So it makes the average RO look like, okay, it's really, really high, but it's because of transmissions in it. You know, our average transmission job is probably $5,000. Yes. So your average repair order on your auto repair is, I'm just taking a guess, and maybe it's like two or three hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. I think it was three sixty at one time when I tried to separate separate it out and do it. But you're also not trying to sell anything extra on those. You're just McDonald's, right? We're just taking the fries and the burger order and the heck with the shake and everything. So one question is what percentage of your work is transmission versus auto repair? And I think I would paint like a big red or yellow line with the bay separation and then be like, okay, these four bays are transmission only. And then these eight bays are repair only or something like that. But do you know your mix of transmission repair to auto repair? I would say it's a 50-50 mix more sales wise by going by sales and, and tracking it that way. But being the, I would say the biggest shop in town, it's just... The other tries to overcome it if we don't allow it. Transmission work is what I'd rather stick to. The profit margin is a higher, much higher ticket, less touching to get my numbers where they need to go. But the industry in our area has just forced automotive repair to get so big. And so I went through years ago and cut out all the stuff that wasn't profitable. We don't do any internal engine repair. We don't do any engine swaps. If oil touches it, other than oil pan and rear main seal, we don't do it. Just to try because the profit margins on that stuff was so low. And so I did that. And then the adding the Darlington shop was actually to relieve the pressure off this shop. And now it's got the exact same problem that this shop is. It's overcapacitated too, trying to work through it. Because with the parts part of it, waiting on the parts these days. And sometimes, I mean, like I had to get a wheel bearing from my truck today and it's four days out before I can get it. Overnight, Amazon Prime overnight stuff, you just can't do it no more. Well, and so I would say typically transmission shop that's doing real good, their margins about 80% gross profit. And I would say, well, I wouldn't say you should be 65% or better on the repair side of it. But again, I don't think you're trying very hard on the repair side of it. So you're not reaping the reward of doing the other repairs and any maintenance from that. So I would say you really need to be to work on that and make sure that you're operating at 65%. I think you make good money on it. We just need to try. But at this point, you're just like a hamster on the wheel, right? And you're just like running, trying to keep up. And it's like, my guess is if you started actually doing a digital inspection and writing up service on that many cars, you probably got another $150,000 worth of estimates you could write in a week, but you're passing it up because you don't have the capacity to do it or sell it or anything else. You're just trying to go from one to the other. So on your transmission shop, do you have like an R&R tech and then you've got a rebuild or a builder for that? So mm-hmm. like how many R&R techs do you have? I have one at this shop and two at the Darlington shop. Darlington more focuses on transmissions and because we have so many bays there, we can leave them on the lift. We can leave these front wheel drives on the lift until they're done. And then over COVID, I started a transmission remanufacturing company where I have all, all my big movers. I build them and put them on the shelf. And so I have them on the shelf now so we can swap them in and out. Just trying to help this shop flow problem. Pull them out, put the frame back in it, push them out, pull them to the back, build them and then put them back in. So all my high movers, I've tried to build them and put them on the shelf now. So we just bring them in and swap them out. So do you need another builder as well? Or do you think, can your builder keep up with capacity for it? Well, no, but what I do is I buy in bulk. Like I'll call, I'll buy 
10 of my high movers at the time and just actually mark them up from there until we can get caught back up. That's what I used to do with that. And I have to wait on them. So I order a lot of them at the time. So I'll have them there. And then I also use remands for all my commercial stuff and all my outer towners because we're a AAA mm-hmm. approved shop. We ride at the end of I-20 and own 95 too. So we have a lot of tourists. And so just to keep from having the liability of that, I put remands in for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Brent, you dipped on us and then came back. So I know. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I just, I was out. So I, I was not prepared to keep the, the conversation going, but I think I was able, I think, I think I did it. So, Chris, you um, do a good job of that. So you keep it going. So. Well, that's because I can talk to a doorpost, right? Yeah. Like forever. Yep. So that's true. That's uh, true. <laughs> um, go, go ahead, Brent. What else did you have? Well, before I dipped out, I had some things and then I lost track. So I was trying to get back on real quick. So, Rodney, the shop that does most of the transmission work, how far is that from the Florence shop? Is that just like across town or is yeah. that a couple of miles away? It's um, easy miles. Okay. Do you direct most of your transmission work to the other shop or do you let it just kind of flow into both shops? I let it flow into both shops is what I do where they want to be. Now, if we are booked up at one shop, I will send it to the other shop just to make sure it stays in the network. The other shop is a different LLC altogether. Mm-hmm. I set it up to do that. So to keep the balance for service riders and keep it fair because everybody loves transmission work. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's in and out. And so to do that, I keep it fair, even though I don't want to get backed up on hard to diagnostic stuff at the Florence shop and send all the gravy work to the Darlington shop. And so right. I try to balance it out as what we can. We try not to lose any of it if we can. But if it's like a front wheel drive and it's got the frames got to come out of it and all that stuff like that, it's just much easier to do it at the Darlington shop where we have 12 lifts where we can just leave it on the lift. So, three tech, so yeah. So just a question here. I mean, would it be more efficient to just have an auto repair shop and a transmission shop? It would. I would. I figured that's where Brent was going. That's what I would say. I would decide one is a transmission, one is a repair, and then funnel them that way. And then and then kind of restructure those that. Go ahead, Brent. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then if possibly you're worried about it not being fair to the service advisors, maybe we look at a different pay structure for the service advisors that are dealing with the auto repair because it's a more complicated or a more lengthy prop, the transmission shop, which is a higher margin, probably a little bit easier because it's very repetitive. So maybe that's an avenue to look at to help with the flow. If we can separate those two entities and just make it flow a little bit easier that way. Yeah, separating would be the one of the great things because it just combined together when it comes to numbers and talking to anybody, even with coaching and stuff like that, to find somebody that works with a hybrid system like that, there ain't a whole lot of it out there. You find stuff for content or on either transmissions or auto repair, but for somebody that does both of them together, it's just not a normal animal. animal so. Yeah, yes. I, I don't hear of many shops that do what you do. They're out there, but not probably to the extent that you're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I would never take that on being a transmission shop just because I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. <laughs> so. when, when I first started coaching, I had several clients that were with Amco and they wanted to expand into auto repair. So we took quite a few from just a transmission only model to a transmission and auto repair model. And then eventually we were able to kind of 
pull them out of those franchises so that they could, they could be their own entities. I remember that. But I think that that would be great if you could separate them out that way. It's going to take some effort on your part because you're going to have to train the customers and you're probably going to have to come up with a new marketing strategy a little bit, like for transmission work, call here, or for repair work, call here, or you're going to have to have one person that answers the phones for everything and then they funnel and schedule online and everything for that. But it could be done. That's one of the ideas I thought about doing is having a call center. And actually them looking at the available space at each individual shop and saying, okay, call this one number, checking availability. And they can drop it off here and I can get it moved. It's not Mm -hmm. that big of a deal. I could hire a porter to move it back and forth. I hire somebody to take transmissions back and forth now. So. And then so if you have a cloud-based system, they could do that all online. They could look at both shops. They could do the scheduling to get it dropped off. And then as much as you could, I would have the customer drop it off. And then do that and then go from there. And then if you needed to, like if something was towed in and was not drivable, then you could get it towed over or whatever. But anyway. So, Rodney, it's been a couple of years now since I used Mitchell. Is the Mitchell that you're using right now, is it a cloud-based system? Is it their like online version? Um, No, they have one, but we had internet problems in our area and I was so scared to go to that because... It's manager SC would prospect with their DVI. And if you if it's been a few years since you used Mitchell, it ain't changed much. You know, Mitchell is way behind the curveball when it comes to that. They're getting there, but their DVI process, like I tried it last week and it was so cumbersome to even do. It just did not flow very well what I thought would work. So and then so whenever we get done, Rodney, I'll go ahead and list these again and then we'll talk about it. But do you feel like you're getting some answers to some of these problems or at least another place to go for start? Yes, yeah, and just some people that's in it with me that knows it and just give me some ideas. Bouncing it off somebody is just in it with me is help because you know, when you you're out there by yourself, you just you say stuff and people just don't understand it. So that's a big help. Right. Like splitting it up. It's something that I kind of know in the back of my mind that would fix a lot of problems when it comes to that, especially running it, getting coaching and all that stuff like that. It would help to individualize it so much as far as numbers tracking too, because when I tell people my average RO, they're like, oh, wow. But it's when you put transmissions together with it, it causes that. There you go. Right. Yeah. Sorry about that. I switched to a different room in my house. It must have been my net. I don't know. I spoke it into existence. Remember I was saying (laughs) you started having a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that. So my question was on the Mitchell. Did you change over to Mitchell? Is that what you said, Rodney? I'm sorry. Did I change over to Mitchell? Yeah. Did you just recently? I've been with Mitchell for 20 years. Okay. Okay. The F12 button on Mitchell is what got me to where I was because I didn't <laughs> nothing about it to start off with. And now I want to switch, but I just know Mitchell so well. And I beta tested a few, just none of them checked all the boxes that would, where I was at to make perform like I want to perform. Well, and that may be something once after this conversation here, when we're offline, we can talk about some different ones. But to really increase your workflow and your shop efficiency, once you go to a cloud-based system that does check all the boxes, you're going to be just probably amazed That's at, at how, e- how easy it, I like it is. Hear some stuff about that. Right. Well, and the other thing is, if you separated the shops and you wanted to do this, you could go with auto repair heavy system at your one shop and then a transmission heavy SMS at your other shop if you wanted to. Like, I would still rather you stay with one, but if you wanted to, you could separate that out like, that way. Do you have any other thoughts, Rodney, or any other questions for Um, right now? 
Not as right now. Other, thank you, Chris, for what you do. I've used your meeting one the other day. I had my meeting agenda together for on your oh, did you? podcast. I've had it. I've used Good. it. Your leadership one. Just thank you for what you're doing, what you're putting out there for us to help the industry better. I just really appreciate it, especially like when I feel like I'm in burnout mode. I can just cut on the podcast and feel like I'm in a community of people that just want to do better. After being in business so long, we didn't have this back then. So, right. I mean, you're the same age. So, just thank you for what y'all doing. So No, I really appreciate you reaching out and then letting us do this. I think this is great. I think we should do more of it if more people have questions and they want to get in here live. Rodney gave us, or I didn't ask for any information. Rodney gave us no information about his shop. We just turned on the record button and kind of took off. So I know you're busy. Sounds like you're super busy. And I want to thank you for reaching out to us and then being a part of this. Brent, do you have any final thoughts? The only thing I think it'd be fun in maybe six months, eight change you decided to make and what progression that's led to. I think that conversation. No, I think that would be great if we had, we're having connection issues again. But Brent said maybe six or eight months down the road, have a follow up meeting or podcast to kind of see where Rodney's at now. And then so I made some bullets to kind of synopsize what we're talking about. So number one, we said go digital. Number two was another service advisor. Number three was text looking up parts and labor. Number four was improve the parts receiving process. Number five was more technicians. And really number six, but maybe it should go in the first slot is separating out the shops, like moving all the work for the transmissions to one and all the ones for auto repair to the other. So I'm going to leave it on that and thanks everybody for their time. And I really appreciate it again. Thanks for reaching out, Rodney. All right. Thank you too, man. Thank you, Rodney. This has been coach Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching, reminding you it never always gets worse, but sometimes it has to get worse to get better. Remember, don't stop working today because tomorrow needs you. Please feel free to reach out to me, Chris at AutoFixSOS.com, just like Rodney did, or give me a call at 940-400-1008. Have a great day, everybody, and remember to rise and grind. You've been listening to the Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the AftermarketRadioNetwork.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.